Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Amarillo, Paramore, Ohanans, San Antonio, and so much more with today's guest, Mr. Christopher Ware of Azar Distilling, one of the big powerhouses, behemoth of personalities and minds behind the San Antonio cocktail scene, and he's recently transitioned into the on- and off-premise market with Azar Distilling, talking about Searsucker Gin. It's been an incredible journey for Chris, and it was a pleasure talking to him about language, about politics, about details. He is one of the smartest and most eloquent guys I have talked to yet, and it was really great getting to know his approach and paradigm on life, learning, relationships, and to know that at the center of it all, he's just a good, fun-loving dad. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Mr. Christopher Ware. So these are Balcones Rumble Barrels, Balcones Single Malt Barrels. Uh, they're 20 liter versions, yeah. and there's three Ranger Creek, roughly 25 liter barrels in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm dropping these off here, and these are going to make their way to Amarillo, uh, of all places. Oh, okay, yeah. Because there's a guy up there who is now doing a barrel program up there. Oh, killer. So, so I'm kind of guiding him and showing him what I do. And he's doing the exact same thing. You're handing it off. Huh? So what What I thought, because I know you've been behind the bar for so long and kind of stepping out from beyond that, that these barrels, in a way, you transitioning them and handing them off felt to me kind of like a swan song, right? Like that this is... Yeah. It, it, it is illustrative or illustrative of your transition from behind the bar. Like this is the last vestige. And so you're moving on. Uh, well, the last vestige for now. Yeah. Just for now. But... It was. It definitely feels that way that I can help someone else further their career and answer their questions because they got into it just by reading and then they kind of found me yeah. even though we were friends for a long time. They didn't really know. And then they read an article and my name popped up and he was like, why am I not talking to my old friend? Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? And so I just started guiding him, showing what I was doing. And how I even got into it in the first place was when I was the head bartender at Bohannon's. Mm-hmm. And that was still in like the very heyday of Sasha coming down and showing us everything. Yeah. And I was the San Antonio ambassador. They were calling us whiskey ambassadors for Angels Envy. Okay. Okay. And so by working for Lincoln, going up to Kentucky all the time and just learning the different nuances on barrels. And after we actually visited the Brown Foreman Cooperage, that's when I wanted to get into it. Really? And someone gave me a barrel. I just started thinking about it. And I started reading. I started trying to do a lot of research, but this was like back in 2011. Mm. And I think there was maybe like two or three places that you could actually find on the internet that were doing, but there wasn't a lot of information. Yeah. And so I was fortunately in contact with Lincoln Henderson, asking him questions about wood and maturation. He's pretty, he, or he rather, he was a pretty transparent guy, right? He was extremely transparent. Yeah. I actually got out of him 
in a <laughs> in a car ride <laughs> where the Angels Envy juice was coming from. No shit. And is it the same? Well, let's put it this way: is it the same place now as when he disclosed it? It is, except okay. for they're running out of that juice. I see. And so they had to source it from elsewhere. And no his kidding. Son and his son Wes, Wes right? Everyone knows Wes. Um, looked in the rearview mirror and said, <laughs> "Shut the fuck up, Dad." <laughs> so <laughs> and I said, "I got him." Dude, there's always those moments. Just like yeah. you just gotta be paying attention, but someone will reveal something. Yeah. But I, I mean, th- speaking of transparency, which I think is a really wonderful thing in this industry, and you. Paying for paying it forward with these barrels and stuff—that's a kind of extending it. That's kind of transparency. How do you feel about the smoke and mirrors with whiskey? Like I talked to someone from Mictors one time, and they just won't ever say where this juice is made, even though I could count on two hands how many places could have potentially made it. Maybe even one hand. From a marketing standpoint, I understand it. Yeah. So for ninety-nine point nine nine repeating yeah. of the population in the world. They have no they idea. They don't give a shit, do they? And they're just going from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. I mean, you could literally put crap in a bag and put a good label on it and tell them what they're doing. Right. And they're willing to do anything that you tell them to. I mean, that's just really the nature of human beings in a mob mentality. Absolutely. But for people that are actually in the know and people that actually take it seriously, like you, myself, and you know, the vast amount of bartenders and mm-hmm. liquid professionals in the world... We really want to know that stuff because we geek out to it, yeah. And not in a bad way. But it just helps us, you know, teach other people what they should have or should not have. Absolutely, in our, in our opinion. But then, even though I don't think someone should be drinking something, I'm not going to criticize or downplay what they have because there's beauty in all things. Of course, teach their own, right? Yeah. Like I, I don't agree with a lot of people about a lot of things. Yeah. But God bless them for being different, at least. Yeah. I mean, that's what America's built on. Hopefully, sure. you know, <laughs> that's what we try to keep going in our core values. Yeah. But as for the whiskey industry, the guys that actually are transparent, that's when I find myself more able to actually promote their products and more willing to teach other people versus the guys that are saying, well, we have our house recipe, we have this. And evading. You can tell pretty blatantly what they're doing, even if they're not willing to tell you. Yeah. I mean, you might, I mean, everyone can have their house recipe and like not tell you like three ingredients. Like your grandmother's cookie recipe. Sure. And that's what yeah, I with you, that. Yeah. You can keep that hidden. No, that's no problem. But don't sit there and try to like tell us, well, it's a blend of four to 19 year old whiskeys. Mm. And we're not going to reveal what's the core. Well, we're not going to tell you what barrels are aged in. We're not going to tell you where the ricks are. Right. I mean, because the people that work there, it's going to get out. Yeah, of course. Just the more open you're going to be, the better off for you that is. Because, you know, in this day and age, there's so much information. It's going to get out there. So when you think about, and we'll talk about this kind of latest chapter as now kind of mm-hmm. representing Azar Distilling, but when it comes to transparency there, did you take some of those things that you learned that you didn't like about salespeople and apply them to you? Most definitely. Yeah. You knew it's like dating, right? Like, well, yeah. I did that once. Yeah. I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. It's like watching the rep come in and cheat on you. Yeah, exactly. And now you're like, well, <laughs> I'm not going to cheat on, I'm not going to cheat on the people I know. Or That's right. Yeah. In the future. It's good. Well, it's an interesting piece to be behind the bar for so long. And I, I really want to dive into kind of how this all came about, really. Yeah. And are you, so were you born and raised in Amarillo? I was. Amarillo, right? Or well, Amarillo, Amarillo. Amarillo. <laughs> um, Yellow. I, 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 went, I was born there. I was raised there. Came from a, like a ranching and oil and gas family. Yeah. 
I went off to military school at New Mexico Military Institute, but oh, I graduated. Dude. Was it the one in Roswell? Uh huh. Yeah, I was born in Roswell. Actually. Yeah, I knew a bit about that school. No, I loved it. Like it's a, it was a family tradition for males to go off to military. No school. kidding. So how how old were? What is the typical age when you're kind of sent off to this? School? Fourteen. Fourteen. Were, fourteen. And it to you as a fourteen year old, if people told me what to do when I was fourteen, I'd be a punk about it. But for you, is it kind of the tradition? Did you even embrace it then? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. What about it do you love? Well, I guess growing up, when you're you know when you're out in Amarillo and you're going to go out to the country and yeah. go play out in the middle of nowhere, you either you find something to do. And I always kind of fell in love with like the romanticism of not only like warfare and you know generals and all that fun strategy stuff. too. So, yeah, so I just kind of you know someday thought that I was going to go in the military, which I did. Yeah. And I loved it, but um, it was like following that family tradition and knowing your family heritage. And I was like, my family was always saying, "This is what your family did." How how far back, if you know? Oh, it goes back to the, like the 14th, 13th centuries. Holy shit! Are you kidding me? So that's incredible. Where so, so where where is your family from then? If you go back that far, Scotland and England. Amazing. But then, um, obviously, there's some French components, and then uh, later in the 19th century. Uh, Norwegian components. Really? So you guys make good, good uh, soldiers. Jesus, strong and <laughs> yeah, smart so, and civilized. Like my dad's side, when they immigrated in the latter part of the 19th century, they mm. moved into New Mexico and they had a ranch there. Really? My family, my on my mother's side, they you can trace them back to you know right around the 1630s, 1640s, wow. and, and into Georgia, and then all the way into the Northeast, and kind of mingled in. That's so, a brilliant thing. So you, it's nice to feel like you come from someplace. Right? Yeah, and so you just kind of wore that badge pretty, pretty yeah, proudly, was, and you, you did it. How I'm long? Extremely proud, proud of it. How long was that program? Um, well, I was at military school for three years, but I ended up coming back my sophomore or my sorry, my junior part of my junior year, my mm. senior year, and graduating from Tascosa in Amarillo. But then I joined the Marine Corps, and I was in what? One day out of high school graduation, I okay. was uh, in boot camp. And it, but that was mm-hmm. last senior year. I mean, that was what you wanted to do. Oh, I knew I was going to do it. I, I did it on my, the day of my 18th birthday when signed up. Wow. But That's incredible. I joined this program. It was called a PLC, candidacy. So it's like a platoon leader course. Uh-huh. So you go off to boot camp, you come back, you go to college. And then your next summer, you go to your MOS school. Okay. So your military occupation school. Then you come back and you go back in the reserves for nine months and you go back on um, to your next MOS school or you go to OCS or Officer Candidacy, Officer Candidacy School. Really? So so are they, is it ultimately that they're trying to make you as intelligent of a soldier as possible to set, set up like a leadership program? Yeah. So you actually see exactly what the, the enlisted guys are doing yeah. versus the officers. So you get um, a balance of seeing what the entire Marine Corps is actually made up of. That's so you're incredible. a more well-balanced officer yeah. for, an, for from an infantry standpoint. Interesting. So because you know all Marines are infantry. Sure. And if you actually understand what you know the boots on the ground from the private side knows, you're going to be able to more well relate to that gentleman. Yeah. So and you, I never really thought of it. Actually, that's kind of worse from my side now. Yeah. It, well, because I'm saying there's a hell of a parallel. Yeah. Right. Learning how to man the troops, getting them in the right places at the right times yeah. to deal 
with the customers, mm -hmm. the offensive, the defensive. So were you ultimately deployed anywhere? Yes. I went to, I was in Iraq. I went to Fallujah. Um, I was there for a little over 10 months. I came back in, oh God, I came back in country October of 2015. Yeah. Oh, sorry, 2005. Wow. Yeah, 2005. So you're about 23-ish, 24, something like that? I was, you're oh, 81, yeah. I was right? like 20, yeah, yeah. 23. Yeah. It's a hard age to kind of come to terms with stuff. Yeah, I mean, especially because like here I am joining the Marines and I thought I was going to be an officer. And no, no, I was like 22. Okay. Yeah, like I was going to be an officer and they put a stop loss, all that, and started gearing us up to go to Iraq. And yeah, you know, dropping right in the middle of Fallujah and mm. it's a completely different scenario. <laughs> so you... You can't read about it, can you? You can't study for that. No. Yeah. No, no. But it was actually, it was a great talking piece in college. I bet. Especially in the bars. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm going to be gone pretty soon. Yeah. Oh, so. it's good. We got to make, to make, make tonight count. Exactly, right. Man, make tonight count. So, but when I got out, when I came back and... I realized, you know, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, but I didn't really, res I really didn't respect it as much as I did now. Yeah. Looking back on it, you talking about the? Bars. I almost wish I would have stayed in. Yeah. But at the same time, I wouldn't be at where I am now. So right. I kind of made the person that I am. But I also had some really great teachers after I came back. More help relate my experiences over there to you know real life world. I had yeah. this tremendous uh, teacher who was in. Uh, he was a Vietnam War literature teacher mm. at Tech. And so Tech has the, the, you know, the, the best school for Vietnam in the state, in the entire United States. Really? No one really knows about it. And here's this teacher. And one day we were having a conversation, and I kind of jumped on a, another student, saying, like, y'all have no idea what you're talking about. Right. You know, coming from a guy who, was, who has, has seen combat and done all that fun stuff. And kind of jumping on them. And he just kind of told me, you know, you just need to be quiet. And so, really? Yeah. After class, I went by, and he was like, "You think that you know you had a hard time?" Um, his entire family was actually knocked out in an arc light strike, in you know outside of Hanoi in oh, the wow. seventy three bombings by Nixon. So he's so, had a lot of yeah. So like you know, if I can talk about you know you know people that I know and I've lost, and you know his entire family was wiped out in a heartbeat. That's incredible. So I was like, you know what? Didn't really completely different. Did you guys? have a different relationship after oh yeah he was a fantastic guy i mean this was a north vietnamese regular yeah so wow teaching in texas yeah that's so strange right you wouldn't think that just this nugget of that kind of rich experience exists yeah. at tech dude i mean yeah, I you would think known. you would think usc right you know, maybe berkeley sure something like know, that Washington, maybe even nyu or something right? nyu like, yeah penn somewhere like that not tech but yeah. tech really had these great programs uh, especially that was one of them and he really helped me uh, kind of, you know, work my way back into, like, the civilian mode. Right. And we kind of come the happy, jovial guy that everyone kind of knows me as. How long do you think it took to kind of, quote-unquote, adapt back? About two years. Two years. Is it, two years. I mean, it, without going into detail, because I never ever want to, if, if there is trauma, sometimes there is, sometimes there's not. But, like, it, how tough was it being out there? Was it a difficult thing to see? It was culture shock. Yeah. It was definitely a culture shock. It was mainly it was just the you know, the oppressing poverty yeah. and seeing that people over there, there's no way in hell that people can say that they have the same opportunities that anyone else in the world is. I mean, right. not only like the religious persecution, but 
but also like the class warfare that exists. Sure. You know, people over there, they truly believe that, you know, a guy like Saddam was great for them because you need that strong warlord to actually keep people in check. That's crazy. Um, just the religious identity. You know, we like to talk about you know, the Christian extreme right mm. in this country, even though, you know, we can argue that all day long. Sure, how, sure. you know, it's, you know, good or bad, depending on who we are. Over there, it's just, I mean, it's an everyday occurrence. Yeah. If you go outside and you do anything incorrect, you're going to get stoned or you're going to, you're going to get stoned to death or you're going to get killed. Your family's right. going to get killed. It's, it's an, it's an all encompassing, you know, part of their life. Did it make, so, you know, thinking about it now, you're a little bit wiser. I think you're 35 now. Yeah. 35. 35. Just turned 35. Uh, in December, right? So mm-hmm. you know, I'm Keep, I remember dates for some strange reason. We were talking about stuff that goes out of your head. So I'll just remember it now and then that, <laughs> that'll be it. But like coming back and obviously we'll tie this back into how you entered hospitality. But when you look at people and you think of the 99%, which in a sense is, is kind of a generalization for people that maybe aren't as like really into the nuanced experiences of life. They're just kind of wandering around, right? Yeah. There's a lot of people like that. Did, did you feel different about Americans in general when you came back? They were potentially lazy, potentially ineffectual. Um, lazy, also not a, not aware yeah. of how much we do have and how much we waste, oh, yeah. how much opportunity we have versus anywhere else in the world. Mm. It is a drastic difference going into any other country in the world, even a Western European country, sure. where you think they have just as much opportunity. They really don't. I mean, America is America for a reason, mm. and it you need to fight to keep it that way. Yeah, you know, we keep progressing, and the melting pot that we are, and bringing all these cultures together, only helps increase that. Yeah, that is like the American ethos and the mystique across the world. You can't go into Europe and act this way. You can't go into South America and act this way. Right. Africa, Asia, nowhere else. Only in America can Canada too. <laughs> can this many cultures like come together and work their way in? I mean, yeah, people that are coming in, immigrating now, their next generation, they're going to be Americanized. Yeah, oh, yeah. they're not going to be They'll be stripped of that cultural identity. Yeah, in they're a not going to have that cultural identity coming yeah. from Singapore, the Philippines, or you know, Uzbekistan, yeah. France, wherever they might know about it and you know respect it, but. The first, the next generation, they're going to be Americanized. The second, gener- the generation after that, they are full blown American. Yeah, it's a strange thing to think we transform that way. Yeah, I mean, we all kind of started that way. My parents and then their parents, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Well, so then it begs the question: When did you finish up at Tech? Two thousand seven, my undergrad, and then two thousand nine, my master's. What did you do your master's in? History. History. Mm-hmm. Any particular type of history? First Empire. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Did you read a bit about gin and the spice trade? Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. A nice thread. Yeah, the whole story. East India Trade Company, how it all comes together. Speaking of which, have you watched Taboo? Have you heard of this show, Taboo? No, I have not. That is exactly about the East India Trading Company and how they did some shit and Tom Hardy worked for them. And he's really? Like, it's a BBC show that was on the FX. Absolutely worth checking out, especially paying homage to gin. Well, oh, slavery, yeah. unfortunately, too. But something worth checking out especially if you have that interest i definitely in want to check it out now so when you have those degrees and you're studying history i mean ultimately teaching is one end game what's what, what was it for you i always thought i wanted to be a professor from being very little either yeah. i was going to be a professor or a career military officer but then 
you know, as I got into it, I realized that professors don't make any money. <laughs> no. They don't make any money. They get all the respect, kind of, yeah. for a classroom setting. And so then I thought, okay, I'm going to be a lawyer. Interesting. Yeah. So. Would they tort or? Um, well, the, the joke was always, um, I'm going to be a divorce lawyer because you can make a lot of money and get girls in the rebound. Ah, that's brilliant. That's <laughs> that, a great strategy. But that's a bad joke. It's unethical, but oh, yeah. it's a good strategy. It was just a, a cheap joke that you yeah. can make in a bar when yeah. you're 25 years old. They'll um, think, oh, he's so charming. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, I always thought it was a bad joke. But, I mean, really, at that time, I thought I'd be a lawyer because I thought that I'd be good at it. Yeah. Um, however, once I kind of finished my master's, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. Oh, great. We um, decided to take a trip to go down to San Antonio for the Alamo Bowl. Okay. And Tech was playing Michigan State. We were kind of late on booking our room downtown, so everything was sold out. Yeah. And we uh, found a bed and breakfast in King William, the area right south of downtown. Yeah, yeah. And so we booked a B&B, came down, went to the game, ended up loving it so much, we ended up staying an extra four days. And everyone was so nice. Everyone was so gracious. Everyone was so willing to talk to us, introduce show off san antonio as a yeah. city they're proud of it there they're extremely proud of it that we were like let's move here no shit just let's like that so we walked around walked around the neighborhood found a house told the landlord uh convinced them to let us rent the place and we were down in san antonio on february 15th that's crazy yeah so pretty within a few months i guess yeah like um less than like a month and five days we were in san antonio good god um, that's incredible it was awesome so match made in heaven. Match made in heaven. Didn't have a job. Didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. I didn't know if I was going to go work in oil or cattle industry or something. Right. So <laughs> I was like looking around after like two weeks. I'm like, okay, time to get a job. Or after about a week, it's like, okay, I need to get a job while I find what I'm going to do. Right. Transitional um, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm maybe I'll, I'll bartend. Never bartend a day in my life. Did anybody in the family bartend? No one. Ever. Nothing. No. Spontaneous. Yeah, just like, I'll be a bartender. Um, I was really good at bars in college. Went to a lot of them. <laughs> Went to a ton of them. I suppose that counts, right? Is yeah. Air Miles or something? So, but I knew that I did not want to go into a bar where I had to deal with people like myself in college. <laughs> Give me just two bullet points of the kind of guy you were in college at a bar. Okay. Um, well, if you're going to a college bar, I would go to the bar. I would get a... Oh, it will also depend on the special that night, of course. Of course. But the go-to drink was always a Coors Light and a double turkey and a splash of seven. Nice. That's... I had no idea. I was <laughs> in college. And so I could go into a bar, spend 20 bucks, and be set. Yeah. Pretty well done for the night. Yeah. And then just continue just to go and go and go. Um, under 50 bucks, I had a great night. Yeah. That's not bad. So... Uh, <laughs> I just knew that, like, the antics and the uh, the stuff that I pulled. Did you I, get in bar brawls? Are you a prankster or a fighter? Oh, I never got into a bar brawl. Okay. Never even occurred to me. Never even. That's good. You're a peaceful guy. Um, I did some dumb stuff before. <laughs> well, of course. That definitely almost almost got in a fight with uh, a linebacker one time. Oh, sure. Uh, um, almost got into a fight with. God, like a whole bunch of guys one time in an alley. It's because you're smart, right? Like the mouth, you mouth off. Oh, yeah. That's I, what I, I made fun yeah. of him. 
<laughs> I just made fun of him. And then when he wanted to fight, I like made fun of him some more. And just, yeah. What the new term everyone likes to use? Troll him. <laughs> yeah. I just trolled him, and I'm like, you what are you gonna do? That shit. You started trolling in person. Yeah. It's like, what, I was like, what, what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, like whatever. <laughs> That's good. That's the best part of being smart. So does that mean then the kind of bar that you were thinking about working at maybe a little bit more sophisticated, maybe even more cocktail driven? I knew I was going. I didn't even honestly didn't think about. It. I didn't know what a cocktail was. Really. I had zero idea what a cocktail was. Well, it wasn't a big thing just yet, was it? Well, I mean, when you're coming from Lubbock, Texas, that's true too. And you're, you're only, all you're doing is drinking in cocktail bars, or I mean, sorry, in college bars. Right. You're just drinking whiskey and beer. And we like and growing, shots of tequila. Did, did did your folks drink? Did they ever have a sense? Like sometimes Manhattan's make it play. You know? No, I mean my no one in my family. I mean we had a lot of drinkers. Sure. I remember one time going out to the ranch when I was like ten years old and. My mom, like, pouring out, I think what it equated to, I was told later in life, was like $10,000 in alcohol. Oh, my gosh. Because um, one of the family members who used a company ranch card to go buy all his booze for a bunch oh, of parties. No. It was like a bunch of hunting parties. Yeah. And it was on the company. And I guess, like, alcoholism was so bad in the family for so long. Right. She was sick and tired of it and she poured it all out. Jesus. So, it's a good story. Well, if anything, it's a cautionary tale. Yeah, so no one drank. Yeah. Um, I drank in high school and I never got in trouble for it. Um, and I drank a lot in college. As you do. Yeah, of course. Um, have a lot of dumb stories about drinking too <laughs> much in college. Probably not good for a podcast. Trolling and not fight. I mean, that's good. I think that gives us a good essence of the college, you know, the college. I had an amazing college experience. Yeah. Well, I like that. I would, I would always go back. Um, so how do you land... Like, yeah, so that I decided that I didn't want to work in any place I had to deal with myself in college. Right. And so I was like, oh, I'll find a steakhouse. That makes and some sense. So yeah. I just go online, started looking at steakhouses. We had a Palm. I've been to a Palm. We had a Morton's. We had these places that I kind of heard of, but so I supplied. And then I, there was a place for Bill Hannon's. Yeah. And it was a steakhouse. I kind of looked at the reviews. They were great. I applied for it. And I got a call back. It was the first place to call me back. Really? And so I walked in. And they asked if I had a bartender, and I immediately said, "Yes, I have." <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, "What's is- your experience?" I'm like, "I do a lot of time in bars." They're like, "But I'm well educated. I was in the Marines. I can do whatever you want me to do." Absolutely, your mouth. And so they went, "Okay, perfect. You're hired." That's crazy to fall like in that place at yeah. that time. It was because you had no idea what. No it was, idea. Right? Yeah, I had zero idea. It was just. Meant to be, because the very very next day, the Palm called me back. Very next day after that, Morton's called me back. Oh man! But I was like, sorry, I've already accepted a job at Bohannas. I went in. First day, I walked in. They said, "Go home." I just shaved my beard. Oh shit! <laughs> I, was, really? I, was, I was really bummed about that. It's beard like you have now? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it never. I'd be real been, bummed. Always been like clear cut or clean cut with a beard, but you know, being in the military for military school and military, no facial hair. Yeah. So. I was like, well, okay, I get it. You've been there before, right? Yeah. People tell so, you how to do it. Shaved, went back, went back to work, and all I did was just cocktail on the floor of Bohannon's um, down in the bar downstairs for, oh, God, a month and a half. Hmm. Never got behind the bar. Just kind of learned. I would just go home, read about every single spirit, took the book home, and just treat like I was back in college, which I think I wish bartenders would do now. Right. Be irritated about it. Take yeah. the spirit... Um, the spirit list home every day 
Read about five. Learn as much as you can about that five. Yeah. Then go to work. Ask if you can try it. I could try it. So I got to try in just shy of like two months, 650 different spirits. That's incredible. Now, I, I did I have a respect for them? Hell no. Not yet. My right? palate wasn't built for it. I remember the first uh, joke they played on me. They were all drinking a... Um, I'm trying to remember the beer. It was like a $60 beer on the menu. Um, a Belgian 750. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. I'll think of it later. Something nice. But they were all drinking that, and they poured me a um, like a Miller Lite or a Coors Light right. bitters in it. <laughs> oh, God. And they're like, what do you think? I was like, it's pretty good. <laughs> they're like, Coors Light. I was like, I'll drink it right now. I have no, give me, I have no give problem. Give me another. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just go home and just read and read and read. And then um, a month later, Sasha pops up. I don't know who Sasha is. I've never even heard of the guy. Yeah. Um, then, like, they start, you know, explaining the history. And so I start going back, and he starts throwing out names, opens up an entire new door, and I just start reading and reading and reading and, and trying to get well, as you much information as I could. a deep interest in history, right? Yeah. So it is an absolutely history. It's all, Whiskey it's, is it's history. all history. All of it, right? Bar- and, bartending is history. Absolutely. And so that's obviously a piece that probably appealed to you. Is that you yeah. could, there was no end to the amount you could learn about it. Never. I mean, it, it's an ever-evolving historical record. Yeah. New things are constantly popping up every day. Sure. New um, ideas like where the cocktail started, how long the oldest recipe, who's, you know, who can claim fame to it. You know, when was the first like true cocktail golden age? Was mm. it in the 1820s and 30s and 40s? Or was it really in the 1870s and 80s? Right. When was it? And so it depends on who you talk to. Sure. And also you start to like, from that point, you start to see like, what end game are they trying to get at? What, it, what do you mean exactly? Like, is it- Well, like some guys will, if they're claiming like the 1870s and 80s, I feel like they're trying to harken back to like their geographical area and give credence to, you know, their city or oh, their region. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Versus other people, if they're saying the 1820s, 30s, and 40s, they're trying to give it credence to their area. It's it's a I pride gotcha. it's a pride thing. Yeah, home turf kind of thing. Yeah, so it's like no, it started here. Interesting. I so, never even thought about it that way. Um, and so if you can kind of like pick through people's what's their end game, yeah. you can kind of find out what are they really trying to promote. Interesting. Wow, I never thought about it. That. And that's what really the same thing with spirits, the same thing with beer, yeah, same thing with everything. Um, but if you just kind of look at it, you take it for what it is. And say, okay, I like your point of view. I'm gonna like incorporate that into the rest of my little jargon, my right, spiel right. that I can go out and teach people about, and not actually make it a definitive claim, but actually say, maybe this is this, maybe this is this. Right. Um, don't do like a reactionary history point of view, but an overarching um, historical record. Right. Just a matter of fact, no yeah. bias. Right. Just mm-hmm. an observational kind of yeah. point. I mean, you can definitely do the whole connections idea and sure. say, well, you know, this led to this, led to this, led to this. You can still do those claims, but it's not, you know, matter of fact, dead certain. Yeah. That's a really, man. So that from that, because I really like the way that you think about things here. This is very intriguing to me. I like the cognitive approach, if you will. Do you think that people, so let's talk about truth, right? So you okay. read about history. History is good because it's a, 
Now, of course, it can be a biased recollection exactly. and um, documentation of things, but let's just say it is kind of what it is. This thing yeah. happened in this year, uh-huh. and it's black and white, right? Do you feel like the way that people talk and spread information now is too topical and not rooted in facts? Yes. That it is rhetoric, I guess is the right yes. word, right? Yes, it's ex- exactly right. Does, it, does that frustrate the hell out of you? It kills me. <laughs> yeah. It kills me. It almost makes me want to turn everything off and just revisit it in a year yeah but then you're not really helping the situation and you can actually get lost and what if something really bad happened right that's a good point so you kind of have to stay in focus um i guess like what kind of like turned me off to everything really recently was uh i mean well we won't get political we'll talk about that off off. no yeah But, but how about this is it being opinionated but yet rooted in fact and intellectual mm-hmm. enough to build a really cogent argument which is a major fault that most people don't have is they can't actually build a lot a plus b doesn't equal c yeah. ever right is it hard for you to pull out and not get embroiled in that online kind of yes. banter? yeah no i've actually i kind of look at there is no you know the far right and the far left will never be you know, truly correct. Right, right. You're too blindsided. You're like you're a racehorse, and you're just trying to get to the end of the game. That's right, yeah. Um, you truly have to, like, step out and kind of, like, look at everyone's point of view, yeah. like America, like how truly everyone really thought of America. You need to, like, take everyone's point of view and build it together. Right. You know, now, is that truthful for America? Maybe not, but that's the idea. Yeah. And the idea is what really binds us together. Yeah, that's a good point. So... You just kind of like look back, you gauge everyone's arguments, and you kind of put it together. Yeah. Um, so you're pretty pragmatic, you'd say. I, I, I try to be. Yeah. I try to be. Don't get me wrong. Every now and then I will fly by the seat of my pants and right. just be extremely impulsive, like moving to San Antonio. But that's um, a wonderful thing. You felt it. It was a right yeah. move. You know? Now, when it comes to like a business sense, I've always felt myself. I read an article. It was actually in the European Economist mm-hmm. in 2009. And I remember this article, like, I, I, I like, think about it all the time. Yeah. Um, it pretty much broke it down. I'm going to paraphrase this, you know, 15-piece sure. document by this economist where he said, people that stay in the same job and they stay in the exact, you, know, you stay in the same industry. That's not what right. I'm referring to. But in the same position at the same job for more than two to four years, you're going to become stagnant. Yeah. Your pay is going to become stagnant. Your level in the company is going to become stagnant. Everything is just going to f- stop. Flatline. Uh huh. Yeah. But if you work extremely hard for two years, if you work extremely hard for three years, you will continue to grow and grow and grow, and so will your pay. Yeah. If you leave that job, your pay typically will go up. Typically increases around ten to fifteen percent. Yeah. If you stay within that job, it usually goes up only about one to two percent. Gotcha. And then. You're not only giving yourself greater intellectual activity, but you're also learning everything else that's out there. Yeah. And you're not staying put. You're constantly growing, constantly evolving, right, right. Um, learning what's out there. And bartending is no different. Like when I first, the idea for Paramore, when, I mean, it, well, the idea for Paramore was way before what Paramore was. Yeah. But well, okay, I so- always told people, if you work for me longer than two years, shame on you. You messed up. Yeah. And you are not trying. 
if you work here a year and a half and work your butt off for a year and a half, there's no reason why you can't grow and evolve and get a better job. Right. Be either a head bartender somewhere, bar manager, beverage director, work for a liquor company, things like that. It's going to open up a tremendous amount of doors for you. Yeah. Well, so here's a weird kind of trick question in a sense. We're yeah. both married. Uh-huh. Um, madly in love with my wife, and this is the second time around for me, so it's slightly different, but if you're constantly devil's advocate here, you know I'm going to yeah. get, get at uh-huh. If you're constantly changing, you're constantly growing, how do the parameters of marriage fit into that for you? So my wife is my biggest um, soundboard. Yeah. And she also has better ideas than I do. Really? Yeah. Must be a brilliant woman. She is. No, she's an incredibly brilliant woman. Like, if I come up with something, like, let's say even, like, small as a drink name, mm-hmm. I'll tell her, she'll tell me flat out, that's dumb. <laughs> or, that's an inside joke. Yeah. People don't like inside jokes. People don't like um, something that, people like, people like things that are quirky and funny that they can relate to right. that are also inherently funny. Yeah, okay. But people don't like inside jokes between bar staff. People yeah. don't like inside jokes between bartenders. Right. They don't get it because not everyone's a bartender. And if you want to make a vastly successful bar that does the numbers that you want to do where you make a lot of money, mm. you need to make it to where you're pleasing a vast amount of people. Well, you could retain your intellectual um, integrity, right? integrity yeah. by you know getting everyone involved. That's fascinating. So how long then, This I've, I abide by the same rules mm-hmm. with my, my jobs and my career as well. Yeah. It's usually three three years is typically the, the, the ceiling for me. Yeah. Them. But sometimes the job changes so much, it's never this, it's not the same job as when I started, and thusly it's like, well, maybe I can stick this out because opportunity, whatever. But yeah. going back to Bohannon's then, which is the Library of Congress of Spirits at the time. Oh, yeah. You know, how long were you there? Three years. Three years, okay. And you felt like you had maxed out in terms of what you could learn with that particular configuration? Well, I had maxed out, but also when you have a gentleman like Sasha on board, I mean, you're talking about one of the top three bartenders and bar personalities yeah. in the modern era of cocktails. You have, I mean, come on. I mean, you have Dale Groth, mm-hmm. you have Sasha, and then... You can argue for about five other people, depending yeah. on who you're trying to promote. Fair. But Sasha's always there, and Dale's always there. Right. Beatles, Rolling Stones. Easy. Yeah. yeah. They're always there. I mean, who's your Led Zeppelin? That's always going to be arguing. Right, right. But, yeah, I mean, are you going to talk about the who? Let's, yeah. Yeah. Religious. Right. Yeah, no, good yeah. point. Yeah. But, but, yeah. The, but Sasha is always there. Yeah. yeah. Always there. Yeah. And when I was doing the barrels, and I wanted to have a heavier influence in the cocktail menu, like, nope. We paid this much money. This is Sasha. You can run things by him, but this is Sasha's program. Wow. This is not yours. This is his. And I went, that's fantastic. But as long as I live in San Antonio, that means that I will always be a Bohannon's guy. I will not be my own guy. That's right. And I love that bar. One of my favorite places to go in and sit down and have a drink. Yeah. And they'll always have a place for me there. But I could have died in that. I know, but that's and, and not loved you. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, I could have died there and been truly happy. Mm. But, but, you know, the first year we didn't make any money. The second year we made a decent amount of money. By the third year we were making a lot of money because here you had the same conventions coming back to town. Yeah. You know, doctors, lawyers, insurance people. They knew, we're going to Bohannon's 
and we're going to drink this. Mm. We're going to talk to these five guys, and we're going to kill it. Yeah, we had the same crew. We were all there together every day. It was like family. Yeah, but um, we all kind of got that same feeling. Like you know, you got to spread your wings a little bit. And slowly but surely, you know, we all kind of left. I was reached out to Chef Jesse Perez, who was coming back into San Antonio to make a place called Arcade Midtown Kitchen. Mm, okay. So he was, you know, definitely on the on the radar of James Beard. He was voted like the best Latin chef in the in the United States. Wow. Uh, he was a big deal, and he's from San Antonio. He was opening a place. He said, "You want to create the bar program? Right? You got it." Yeah. And we did an amazing job. My team that we kind of put together, I mean, no matter what, we were always in the press. We were winning awards. We were having a great time. Mm. Um, the restaurant was always busy. The drink program was killing it. We were making a lot of money for the owner, um, which was the chef. And it was great, but it was a step down in pay. Ah, but more but, creative liberties. Right? But more creative liberties. And so I always looked at it. It's a step down. It's a step down and pay but a step up and create and creativity sure and opportunity yeah too. and so then i knew by doing that someone else then would come in and more as i knew people started lining up and offering things offering yeah. things saying would you like to do this we'd like to do this we'd like to do this um had you do you think you were good at that point did you think you were were at any level of mastery yet no no and i still don't think that either yeah because well, it's an internal pursuit. Right? Yeah. I still don't think that either, but um, I was extremely happy for what we were able to do in the small confines of our space. Yeah. And Makes sense. I mean, our cocktail menu was always fun, always inventive. Yeah. We were able to do, you know, table side service for people, you know, in a 300, and when we were doing 300 covers a night, everyone was having a good time. And so it was just a really fun time. Yeah. To be in a small bar and be creative, and so with all that occurring, yeah, we jumped forward. You know, you know, a year after we opened, uh, I was actually in the process of building another bar. Which one this time? So this bar was going to be in Southtown, mm -hmm. and we were actually looking at spacing. We already had you know all of our paperwork in line. You know, permits paid. We were sure. getting all into it, and then that's when I met. Martin, who owns Paramore. Okay. And he, he wanted me to come in, look at his space, and build an event center. Wow. Pretty much take the top deck, turn around to where it was a place where it, people could come in there, rent it, have a wedding, mm -hmm. and he would make 20 grand. Wow. I went up there, and I convinced him, this needs to be a bar. And I'm not going to do it unless I can build a bar. Wow. So after... How did that conversation go? Um... It went, I mean, it also went very well because yeah. I just said, I'm going to do it or I'm not. And I just walked away. I mean, I looked at it as a unicorn project. Sure. If it did happen, it happened. If not, who cares? Right. But he came back. He started sending people in to, you know, see me, kind of scout me out. And then we would kind of just revisit the conversation. And finally, we sat down again one time. And how we, the funny thing is how we first met was he came in the restaurant and he was in the restroom, and um, his girlfriend ordered, they ordered a happy 20 old fashioned. Oh, geez. And I just went, uh, okay. <laughs> um, Teach I, their own. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't have, I don't have a problem making someone a $150 cocktail. Right. It's good money for you. It's fine. But 
I just want to make sure they're ordering what they're ordering. And I go over and I ask him, like, this is what you want? He's like, yeah, that's what I want. I'm like, no problem. So I double check. Um, well, you know, when you have, like, when you're that wealthy, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, no. I mean, just because people, there, there is an interesting inverse relationship between taste yeah. and wealth. Mm-hmm. Most people I know have really gaudy, odd, terrible, terrible taste that are rich, right? And don't get me wrong. Uh, a happy 20 old fashioned is fantastic. Sure. Um, is it worth the money? No, but no. when you have that much money, who cares? Who gives a shit? Which is a, kind of a plague of modern. Yeah. It's, you know, that's modern also America, a, but... That's also modern America right there. The yeah. waste that we go back to. Right. Don't get me wrong. I mean, a, a Lady Burn 41 Scott Shake is amazing. <laughs> I bet it's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, God, we can get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> but so how long did it take you before Paramore became a physical manifestation of so this crazy... So after talking about it and signing a contract, it was like four months in. My first day was August 1st. And here I am going into this brand new, you know, building mm. and being told that everything's fine when it's not. We had to go back in and fix the building for a city. And that took a year. Oh, man. So that took a whole year. But... That's also where, you know, I can never say thank you enough to Martin. I mean, I learned more in that year than I would have learned anywhere else. Hmm. I learned how to build a bar from scratch. And I learned how to build a, build a bar above the, um, the high-rise statute. So I always know, because everything changes once mm-hmm. you get above a certain floor level. And it's much more difficult. Interesting. Piece. So I thought about that. I got to learn all that information while I was being paid to do it. So, going to school, man. Yeah. Right. I was being paid to go to school. And, your, your doctorate. And I soaked it up. So I can never say thank you enough. Right. And I always will say that. So how long? But then it took us a year and 25 days to open. Man. And the funny thing was we still thought we were going to open Halloween of 2014. Uh-huh. We'd already hired the staff. I'd already set the menus. I had already got the POS done. We were ready to rock. I had everything on order. We actually built a bar off site. To practice? Like a staging bar? No, I was trying to wonder, like, how do we get this bar built while we're waiting for permits? Because we're, we're applying for permits. Oh, I see. I'm like, okay. we got to be open. Modular. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was actually doing a riverboat cruise in downtown San Antonio. I mean, my wife and I, we love playing tourist. Yeah. I mean, you go downtown, you play tourist, and do whatever you want. So much yeah, fun. Yeah. I don't understand why everyone doesn't do it. But we're going by the riverboat, and we're passing the Grand, or the Hilton, uh, Hotel de, uh, the Palacio. Mm. Um, and that was built for the World's Fair. That hotel went up in just under, I want to say like 279 days or something like that. Wow. It was built off site south of town and was put up. Every room had the bed in there, had the wall fixtures, had everything situated. It was just put up like Lego blocks. No kidding. It just went up in a crane. And I went, that's how we're going to build a bar. That's crazy. Um, we had the San Antonio Fire Department, San Antonio Fire Department build the bar. No shit. Yeah. That's and crazy. so they built it off site and we craned the whole bar in when the first day we got our permit. That's insane. Wow. Craned it in, put it together, ready to go. Then we get told we get our permits yanked. Why? Like, because um, someone, the person that we had hired to help, um, applied for a remodel, not for a bar. So yeah. it was none of our fault. It was someone else's. And so then we had to go back and re-find out the entire building. Jesus. And it was a, I mean, 
the amount of politicians I got to learn and all the fun stuff I got yeah. to do to get that bar open. Again, a, a degree yeah. in life in a way. So yeah. we had to start from scratch and actually learn how to build the bar from scratch, wow. the entire building. And when we actually knew what we were going to happen, we thought June 1st and we thought July 4th and then August 1st. And then we knew it's going to happen by September 1. Yeah. Um, I had the entire staff come in, you know, the staff. They already knew they were working there. Right. And so they're working all over town. They've been promoting us for an entire year. Mm-hmm. And finally, you know, their bosses are like, you got to leave. You know, we know you're leaving. You're just taking up space. We got to bring more people in. Right. So right. I'm hiring them. They're coming, they're coming in as, you know, laborers. Right. They've come in, helped us paint walls, put up. We, like, the bartenders built that bar. That's amazing. It was, um, you know, a work of love. We built that bar from, you know, what it was. Yeah. Like, the things that we could do. Like the wooden walls, the painting, sanding all the benches, restaining things, doing the floors. Yeah. Um, so, wow. yeah. That's a, yeah, that's yeah, incredible. Everyone put their heart and soul in that place. Did you make 9-1? We made uh, August 25th. Oh, August cool. 20, so August 24th was our soft opening. Um, and August 25th was our grand opening. Wow. And I cannot believe the turnout we had. Yeah. I mean, the very first day we had two news choppers overhead people the news were in there doing interviews and you know displaying the space and yeah it was just tremendous you know thing that's amazing and i mean it caught everyone off guard yeah we had no idea we're like oh my god what's happening media darling immediately yeah that's incredible and it just hasn't stopped so how long when is this last transition tr- so when did you transition to this last piece because i want to kind of summarize the the so year or the two years you I had. I transitioned from Paramore. Uh, my last day was January thirty first of twenty seventeen. So just yeah, just that yeah, just really recently. And so you, how long uh-huh. were you, had you been there? Because you had the year where you were helping develop yeah. and build it. Two years, three years, two and a half years. And it begs the question: Why seemingly something that is so beautiful and so from your hands that you would leave? Well, you don't own it. If you don't own it, it'll never truly be yours. Wow, that's profound. That's true, though. So, Absolutely. So no equity, no equity in the deal. There was supposed to be. Oh fuck. Okay, got it. There was supposed to be, but um, you'll never own it. Yeah. Even then, if you really want it to be yours, you really want to take ownership and love it the way it should be. And if it's yours, then it's your idea. That's right. If you have someone else, they're always able to put in ideas, even if you disagree with them. Mm. And it was at that point, it was becoming a conflict of interest between what I think and what they think. Wow. Contentious at best. Yeah. Yeah. And so instead of just waiting for it to boil over, wipe your hands and move on. Any bad blood? No. It's a good move for you. Yeah. Just move on. Um, And at that time, I was helping the Azars mm-hmm. and I was asked by them to kind of help out with their new um, facility while Concept Conference was going on and so they're building a entire event center distillery um, tour Tasting piece room their and place yeah oh, cool so they asked me to kind of help them on we kind of talked about it and you know it just worked well by that point I had it I was working 80 something hours a week at Paramore and I had my a month in at Paramore, a month and a half in at Paramore, I had my second child. Wow. And I was only gone on 
paternal leave for maybe like four days. Jesus. You, you know, I remember like burning on no ten, sleep. Ten sure. minutes after my baby was born, I was getting a phone call. Oh man. That's kind of, I mean, yeah. that's at some point that's not the kind of dad you want to be. No. Right? And that's what I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be that that person that was glued to computer screen when they got off work. Yeah. That first thing they did when they woke up at seven AM from their kids saying, Daddy, 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 is I gotta go check my phone. That's just not the person anyone should be. Yeah, you want to be present. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, and when you're trying to like maintain how you think something should be and how you want it to be, yeah, you're constantly looking over your shoulder. That's a good point. And so, I didn't want to be the person anymore. I mean, I still have ideas how stuff I want to happen, mm. and that will that will definitely occur um, in the future. But I wanted to step aside. Yeah. And so, by taking the job with Azars. I didn't realize like how much I could love sales because it's just an easy transition. Sure. Well, because it's not so different, right? No, it's not different at all. Yeah. And especially when you have, you know, a great infrastructure that what you have with the Azars and a true family company, mm. you're able to um, kind of get free reign as long as you stay within the boundaries to do what you want to do. Right. And because I don't know anything about like the liquor or the off-premise world where yeah. the liquor stores, but I've been, I would say, somewhat successful getting product in where we haven't been able to get in yeah. just by having these relationships and um, helping the wholesale departments move more product. Yeah. It's, a, it's an incredible transition. And I, I yeah. get why, man. It makes a lot of sense. You know, it's like my dad worked so much when we were younger. But the, what, what I got from it, what I yeah. gleaned from that is that working hard really does pay off in the end. But at the same time, it's hard because he's always traveling and stuff. So it's a hard balance to strike. And it's cool that you're stepping over to this realm, the off-premise realm, the distilling Mm -hmm. realm, you know. And you guys have just, I know Cinco Vodka was kind of the staple product for some time. Is that right? It was. So I remember when they first started, was pretty much when I first started in the business. They brought their product into Bohannon's. They're a San Antonio company. They were making a European-style vodka, mm-hmm. you know, just south of San Antonio. And they wanted to put out the best product they could, and I believe they certainly did that. Yeah. We were one of the first accounts to really take hold of it. We put it in the well of both hands, and we ran with it. Um, at the time, it was probably the most physical, smart decision on my part mm. <laughs> because, you know, you usually build- you want vodka to pay the bills. And right. When you have a... You know, a product at the time that was expensive. I probably wouldn't go back. I would like teach my look back at myself six, seven years ago and say, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. But I'm glad I did it because we got the product out there. We learned a lot. Um, it tasted great. Mm-hmm. San Antonio really took to it. And, you know, it is where it is now. And it's really impressive to, like, to watch how they grew. Mm-hmm. And we all kind of just grew synonymously. And now they're. You know, we just launched the Northeast, where you're launching the Tennessee, um, Arkansas, Louisiana. Yeah. So the company's definitely growing. Here they are making this gin that people are afraid of gin. That they're usually in their, in my opinion, 60s, 50s, and 40s. They're still afraid of gin. Mm. They're not. They're not embraced. They didn't embrace the cocktail culture like you know all of us were able to. Right. Um, they weren't really around it. So they're still thinking, you know, vodka, vodka, vodka. But 
by making a new world style gin, which is typically light juniper, which mm. seersucker is, it's an easy transition piece. Mm. And it actually adds more flavor profile. And so people that are drinking vodka, they can transition into a gin drink. They can gotcha. Transition into a gin cocktail. Then, but people also that are drinking bourbon or tequila can transition back into that drink and right. still have a lot of flavor profile. So intentionally accessible. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, the marketing itself, when we go back to that term that we kind of touched base on at the very beginning, right? the marketing is brilliant. What I do you mean, feel shines so, so well about it? Just the synonymous Southern activity about it. Yeah. I mean, seersucker itself, when you, you know, you say that term seersucker, you're thinking, you know, you're thinking the South, you're thinking football, right? right. You're thinking springtime, you start thinking flowers. Um, so tailgates. already this kind of like historical yeah. kind of yeah experiential mm-hmm. connection to it. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I thought when I was like, I'm going to be working for Seersucker Gin was, oh my God, I need to go to every tailgate throughout the South. <laughs> I can put on a Seersucker suit and act like Papi O'Daniel. Yeah. Oh, geez. I'm just going to go politicking. <laughs> That's good. That's good for you. <laughs> oh, I'd love it. Yeah. I'd love it. I mean, you could, um, my wife and I were actually th- trying to think of a, we're not going to do it now. But when we first started this whole, you know, this new career move was a alter ego. I like that. An alter ego that you kind of like define yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was going to become College Chris. You know, College, <laughs> oh, Chris is, College Chris is back. Right. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, could see, I could see the poster now, the movie oh, yeah. trailer and all that. Oh, yeah. College Chris is back. And <laughs> it was kind of like the, I was more, I was at the same time, I was going to do it. I was going to make fun of uh you know, like warm gin shots and traffic. Right, right, right. People like that. I mean, they all have this great liquor persona that goes out throughout the country and everyone knows them as that. And I was like, oh, I can create that and and do that. But then at the same time, I was like, oh, my God, if I bring back college, Chris, I'm going to be divorced. (laughs) (laughs) Where's dad? Well, he's not spending the night. Dad's not here. Dad's in jail. (laughs) He's in jail. Again. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I it's, become Jack Nicholson from Easy Rider. Oh, Jesus Christ. Or five easy pieces. Yeah. Either way. <laughs> bad, both terrible. <laughs> or yeah, depending on yeah. what kind of Jack you like. But. Well, it's it's interesting. And so, you know, this all makes sense. This is a pretty interesting but uh, very logical narrative that I that I see, like, in the mm-hmm. things that you've kind of built and where you started. But the question for me is I know you'll get back into the bar piece of it, and I'm sure you'll have your own place because it just goes without saying you want equity, you want to build something, you want to own something, not have people question it, right? But the thing that I, I really want to ask you is, and I ask this of all the guests now, let's say that you are at any bar in the world, doesn't, of doesn't matter, right? Sipping whatever you want. Let's uh-huh. say some bourbon, say some gin, whatever. Who do you find interesting enough, either living or dead, that you would love have a conversation with them and just dive in someone that you've potentially never had a conversation with before historical figure if you will theodore roosevelt no shit oh that's great yeah. theodore roosevelt what would you wh- why theodore roosevelt his yeah. entire even though it, you look back on it and it feels like half hyper masculinity yeah um it's really not i mean he was a very uh, loving man he had you know he loved his kids he took his kids on whatever adventure he was going on. Yeah. But he he shot by the seat of his pants in a very pragmatic, logical way. Mm. He knew exactly what he was going for. He knew exactly what he was going to be doing. And it was all had an end goal. Even though it might, to the person just like looking back saying, what's this person doing? It yeah. had an end goal. 
he was always driving himself towards something. Yeah. You know, either being the New York police chief or being a cowboy out west or, you know, hunting in, you know, Montana and Wyoming. Amateur boxer too, right? Amateur boxer. Yeah. Uh, what, he explored, you know, Amazonia. Yeah. He did all this stuff. Um, and, I mean, come on, being in San Antonio and going into the um, the Minger Hotel where he yeah. formed the Rough Riders. That's incredible. I mean, it's right there with San Antonio lore. I, mean, I didn't realize that. Like, my second son's name is Theodore. Makes sense. So, I mean, I remember I, that came to me because I got home one night at 5 in the morning uh, from Paramore, mm-hmm. and we were, like, trying to think of baby names. I just turned the TV on, and PBS was on, and it was uh, Young Theodore. I was like, that's it. Amazing. Teddy. And so, and then my other son, Beauregard, nice. we named him Beauregard because the bed and breakfast we stayed in San Antonio was called the Beauregard House. It was on Beauregard Street. Man. And when we were thinking of names, you know, there was Beauregard, and then there was all these streets that were Southern Civil War generals mm. in Southtown, King William. But we we're like, well, we won't name the second one a Civil War general. We'll think outside the box a little bit. <laughs> Something more worldly. Yeah. Well, it, it's it been brilliant chatting, man. There, there's so much to touch into, and I think we've done a, an amazingly comprehensive job. It, it's Yeah. I, I just see you teaching someday. You know what I mean? I see you having a captive class, and I know you, you've done this. You did the seminar this, this year with Timothy at the mm-hmm. San Antonio Cocktail Conference. That makes perfect sense that you're out there teaching, that you're out there, you know, pre- not preaching, but uh, imparting knowledge, right? Do you, are you going to hit academia again? See, that's the one thing is that you know, tech has a, a rim department. It's a restaurant hotel management. It's actually the top three in the country. Really? You know, Cornell is always number one. Okay. And number two is usually flip-flopped between UNLV and University of Houston. Okay. You know, Conrad Hilton, sure. obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, coming from Houston. And then tech's number three. And they all kind of like flip-flop that third spot, and tech's always right there. And I would love to do a, you know, a cocktail class. But, you know, getting back in the bar world, it's not really so much that I want to run a bar mm. ever again. I want to own a bar yeah. just so I can be my own beverage director. <laughs> just so I can, like, go in, teach my staff, have my beverage program, yeah. and, you know, make the ambiance. But I want to put people that actually I can trust and believe in that are more physically sound than myself mm. to actually run it. Um, I would love to say on, like, this side, the fence and actually work for a brand and promote it forever and then just have a bar on the side where I can go into and hey guys try this try this because I go around look at everything in the world mm. and bring back new ideas it's incredible so I mean the both sides have their pluses yeah um the bar side it's the hours that start to kill you with the family sure but if you can put people that you trust to actually watch those dollars for you, and you can actually train a staff. Training a staff in a cocktail, and cocktail is actually your biggest, you know, saving grace mm-hmm. for money because you actually treat them to love booze, and by loving booze, you don't waste booze. That's a good point. It's almost like a built-in watchdog that's in the back of your head. That's right. It's pretty pretty shrewd. I didn't realize that. So, yeah, like you want to stay on, you know, but then I get to stay on this side and you know push my products and yeah. you know meet people travel you know do fun things like this i know so fun so there's great things to both sides and i mean i actually have a guy who told me one time he said um the great thing about me when he was like 
talking about me was that I, I constantly just swing for the fences. Yeah. And so. Like, like Teddy himself. Yeah. Just constantly just you're going for it. You're going for it. You're going for it. You might fall on your face, but as long as you pick yourself up, yeah. you're going to be fine. Um, and you'll I mean, continue advancing. You'll continue to make more money, which in turn you can, you know, give better things to your children. Mm. Because, I mean, that's really what the world's all about is like creating a legacy for yourself. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, having a bar is awesome, but then being on this side of the fence and staying on forever is something I would love to do. Yeah. Well, I, I can't wait to see what is next for us. I mean, it's been brilliant. Sipping, I mean, we're sipping some old Fitzgerald 12 here. You tell me this is from the 90s. I didn't. I thought it yeah. was newer than that. That's even no, that's this, brilliant. This bottle's from the 90s. That's incredible. So, yeah. It's been brilliant chatting and, and really brilliant getting to sip some bourbon with you, mate. No, of course. Thanks for coming in. When are you heading back to San Antonio? Tomorrow or tonight? Or? Um, late tonight. Got it. Late, late tonight. I'm going to head downtown. We have an event going on uh, at Twin Lakers tomorrow that my Austin uh, counterpart will be doing, but I'm cool. going to kind of help him get set up. But then I'm going to go around, maybe hit a few places, say hi, yeah. and then drive back late. Killer. You better take care of yourself, man. Yeah. All right. Safe travels, Chris. Thanks so much for chatting. Thank you, sir. Well, there we have it. One of the great four founders of the San Antonio cocktail scene, Mr. Christopher Ware, has learned all aspects of this industry and is now entering a new chapter, you know, in the sales side, learning about distillation firsthand, learning about regulations and TABC stuff with on and off premise sales. So best of luck, Chris, with that endeavor. I'm pretty sure at some point you'll be returning to behind the bar and you'll have a great, amazing, beautiful place of your own. It was a pleasure talking to you. And I kind of just want to do a podcast about politics. Yeah, I know it might be trite. It might be boring. But having Chris talk about the even keeled nature of arguments and how you actually shouldn't use rhetoric, it's like talking to Socrates in some sense. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter where you think about traveling to next when you look at a map of the world on the wall just to your left, or if you're thinking, man, I don't know if these new Star Wars movies are going to be worth it or not, please keep dancing.